Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. This week, if you've, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, we're on actually week three of our series called The Great Exchange. And it's a series that is based on the topic of soteriology. Does everyone remember what that word means? We talked about it the last couple of weeks. Soteriology, the study of the doctrine of salvation. And so the goal of this series, once again, is for all of us to gain a deeper understanding of what it means to be saved. And so two weeks ago, Fee kicked our series off, if you can remember, and she talked about God's salvation plan the plan that God had to save us, and how because of sin, there was a devastating separation between us and God that took place. And we talked about how God had a plan to overcome this separation, and that was to send his son Jesus to pay the price for our sins on the cross. Uh, Last week, week two, we talked about from guilty to forgiven, And we talked about how because of Jesus' sacrifice, we're able to confess our sins and be made clean from all unrighteousness. We talked about how when we came to Christ, we were adopted into his family and he is now our father and we are his children and we have the privilege to go to him. And so this week is entitled From Death to Life. You know, it's always amazing talking about the gospel And the good news, you know, when I think about what Jesus did for me, what Jesus did for you, it's it's so overwhelming. You know, I still can't fathom the fact that he came and paid the highest price. You know, the gospel, it's good news, right? That's right, it's good news. But you know what I I was thinking a lot about this uh, this week, and I I was thinking, you know, you can't really appreciate good news until you fully understand the bad news. And so I was reminded of that, um, everyone who's like born in the 70s and earlier will remember the famous New Zealand comedian, Billy T. James. Does anyone remember him or is it just me? Oh, shortly, thank you. And he had this joke and it went, uh, the doctor comes in and the guy is waiting in the office and the doctor says to him, Uh, the good news is you have 24 hours to live. And then the guy goes, what? How is that good news? That's not good news. And then the doctor said, oh, but the bad news is I should have told you yesterday. (laughs) We can't appreciate the good news really unless we fully understand the bad news, right? Um, And so 11 years ago, those of you who were in our lives back then will remember, and some of you already know this story, but uh, Joey, I was pregnant with Joey, and he was born seven months. So two months early, he was born. And so what had happened was um, I had gotten really sick at month seven, and I had been in hospital for about a week. And it was a pretty cruisy week. Like, they were just, you know, watching me. It wasn't that serious, but, you know, they were just kind of out of taking precautions and just keeping me in for observation. I was bored out of my mind, dying to go home because there was no TV in my room. 
no nothing to do. There was no internet back then. In the, in the hospital rooms, of course, the internet was already invented, not that old. But suddenly, on, on the seventh day that I was in the hospital, there were some huge complications that happened, and things happened really quickly. And then they had uh, some, I'm trying to say this like, you know, without making you throw up your breakfast. Um, there were some things that happened, and it really concerned the doctors. And those of you who know Karina from our central church, she was a midwife back then, and she was she was a really good at her job. So she was there because she was she couldn't wait to meet this baby, and she was the one who ran around and got all the doctors in because she knew what was happening. Ulu and I we're such you know we're so ignorant with these kinds of things we hardly ever go to the doctor so we're just sitting there kind of laughing at her because she was quite stressed which is what we do with our sister when she gets stressed you know we just kind of sit back and enjoy the show so she was running from from room to room looking for a doctor telling him you need to come now this all these big long um medical words this thing is happening you need to come now so she pulled these doctors into the room and then they came and then within, you know, like a couple of minutes, they all decided we need to get this baby out now. We need to take her into surgery and cut this baby out. And so Ulu and I, you know, we're, those of you who know us, we're quite laxy, cruisy people and we don't get stressed that easily. And sometimes that's a little bit of a fault. And I was told that that day it was a bit of a fault because, you know, they were running around. Apparently, you have to be put on oxygen before they put you under. And so one doctor said, turn on the oxygen. She needs to go on the oxygen. And so they turned on the oxygen on the wall. But there was no mask. And so Karina said, somebody get a mask. And then someone ran out, got a mask, ran it in, put it on my face. And so Ulu and I were just sitting there going... And I think I've watched too many of those, you know, emergency shows that I didn't really take things as seriously as I should have. Anyway, after maybe about one minute later, they said, okay, is everything ready? We need to get her um, into the theater now. And so they pulled off the brakes, put up the, the bars on the side of the bed, and they started to run and wheel me out. But the oxygen was still attached to my face. And so <laughs> all I was like, and then Karina yells out, the oxygen is still attached to her face. And then some poor doctor that she was screaming at quickly flicked it off. And then we were running down the hall. And as we were running down the hall, someone had to go and run and get the portable oxygen tank because I needed to have oxygen apparently. And so as we were rushing down the hall, another person comes in with the oxygen tank and puts it into this little hole on the side of the bed. And then someone said, okay, put it on her. But the mask was still attached to the wall in the room. And so by this time, Ulu and I were kind of in fits because they were so stressed out. Anyway, Karina ran. I'm sure she said some words of passion at the time. She sprinted back to the room, grabbed the mask, came, put it on. And then all I knew was that we, I got wheeled into the operating theater you know, you fall asleep quickly when they put the gas on you. And then, I don't know how long it was, but I woke up and they told me Joey was fine and that I was fine. And so I was like, oh, sweet, cool. But then the next day came 
And then a man came into my room. I, I couldn't remember ever meeting this man before. And he introduced himself to me and he said, hello, Mrs. Schuster. Uh, my name is Dr. So-and-so. And he said that he was the main surgeon who was in charge of my surgery. And he said, I think you need to realize what happened last night. And so he went on to tell me that what had happened uh, to Joey inside of my stomach was that the placenta had come away from the side of the womb. And so apparently that is almost, a, there's a high chance of the baby not surviving. And so he told me that uh, that had happened and that something, the whole lining of the, the sac that holds baby in, there was none. He said, and some, somehow there were no waters, it was just all when they opened things up, he said it was a mess in there. He said, we don't know how long he went with no oxygen. He was just sitting there just in blood, basically. And he said to me these words, he said, he shouldn't have been alive. He was just chilling out there. And he goes, but you need to realize this. He said, you lost 40% of your blood. You should have died. And I was like, oh, didn't realize that. And so he told me, he came into my, he looked for me. Maybe he saw a little bit of Ulu and I kind of laughing. Maybe he knew that we didn't realize what the bad news was that we had been saved from. But he came and looked for me. And so I was telling Karina later on in that week, I, I was telling her that he had come to my room and explained these things. And she told me that that never happens. You know, those emergency surgeons, they don't have time to go up and look for people and visit them after the fact. But the fact that he came really helped us to appreciate the good news that Joey was okay and that I was okay. But it wasn't until I fully understood that bad news that I was able to appreciate it. And so I, I truly believe today that we need to appreciate the good news, in order for us to appreciate the good news of what Jesus has done for us, we need to really, Lord, is that you? We need to really understand the bad news. And so today I want to dig a little deeper into this bad news. And of course, this bad news is sin. And so sin as defined in the original translations means it's, a, it's an archery term, you know, like bow and arrow. It means to miss the mark, to miss the mark according to the standard that God has set for us. And, you know, the Bible says a couple of things about sin. It says that all of us have done it and that all of us sometimes are still doing it. Romans 3.23 says, all of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Scripture goes on to say that because of that sin, you and I, we're going to die. Romans 6.23 says the, the wages or the result or the payment of sin is death. But you know, what's crazy is that you and I, we weren't meant to die. We weren't supposed to die ever. That's why it's so horrible. Looking at the beginning in Genesis, you know, when God created the world, it was perfect. There was life everywhere. There was no sin. There was no death. 
That's basically the story of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, they tell us the story of how we were walking in perfect relationship with God, but then Adam chose to sin and disobey God, and then sin came into the world. And now we were separated from God. Death came into the world. And that's the story of Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. Now, I was looking at Genesis 5. You know, what, what, what comes next after that? But Genesis 5 is actually a genealogy, a family tree of Adam after sin. It, it seems to just be a list of names. And, you know, I wondered, what's the point of that? You know, when I read something, I, I always look for, like, the story, you know, or something interesting or something challenging, you know, but it just seems to be names of random guys. You know, I, was, I just thought I would read uh, the first 23 verses of Genesis 5 for us. Some of you who have, um, like, you know, ADHD or short attention span are probably thinking, oh my gosh, should have slept in this morning, but I promise you there is a point, okay? And I'll read it quite quickly. Okay, so Genesis 5, verses 1 to 23. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. So when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters, and altogether Adam lived a total of 930 years, then he died. So these guys lived really long. So this is before the flood. You know, there's a whole bunch of, you know, scholars say different things about why people don't live that long now. But yeah, we don't have time to go through that because we've got 23 verse, verses to read. So when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. And altogether, Seth had lived a total of 912 years and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. After he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became a father of Mahalalel. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and other, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared had lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, we're near the end, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. We made it 
Congratulations. And so what does all of those names, what does all of that long, long passage have to do with this series? You know, what's the point of saying all of these names of people who lived after the fall of mankind? You know, I believe the whole point of this passage is not to show all of these people that lived. I believe that it is to show that they all died. I mean, the concluding statement of all of these people's stories is that they all died. Genesis 3 and 4 tells us about how sin entered the world, and Genesis 5 tells us about the result of that sin entering the world, and everyone falling short of the glory of God, and everyone dying. Generation after generation, one thing ruled. One thing was always certain, and that was death. Adam had a son, Seth, he died. Seth had a son, he died. He had a son, and he died. Everybody died. But death was never God's will for us. We weren't meant to die. You know, many of us in this room have experienced what death is like close up. You know, many of us in here have lost loved ones. Some of us right in front of our eyes. We've lost parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunties, uncles, even children. When someone you love dies, it's the most awful thing. Death hurts like nothing else. You know, um, a couple of my students at school, a brother and a sister, they lost their grandma on the last day of the school holidays that just finished. And this grandma, they walked to her house every day after school and waited for their parents to finish work. And I had the brother sitting with me in my office and he was just crying. You know, real tough, he's a real tough boy. You know, he's constantly being sent to the principal's office, you know, but he was just sitting there crying because death had hurt him. Someone who he saw every day of his life was now gone. You know, death turns our lives upside down. And it's so final, you know. And I believe this is what the scripture is trying to show us. That this is what, this is what those people back then were experiencing. But it's not how it was supposed to be. That's the bad news. Now, that was them. What about us? Um, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 says, what about us? And it says, and you. I always laugh at the scripture because, you know, Ephesians 1 talks about all of these other things. And then Ephesians 2 says, and you. Some versions say, and now you. You know, I, a lot of you guys know I have one brother, older brother, and you know, it's not very common for Samoan families just to have two kids. But, you know, one thing, there's lots of upsides, you know, to just having one sibling. But one thing that was definitely a downside was if he, was, if he did something and he got in trouble, my parents would be disciplining him, you know, and I would be sitting in the room going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. 
and then they would be whatever it is that whatever it was that he had done. They would say, you know, you should have done this. We told you, but you didn't listen and blah, blah, blah. And then every single time without fail, something in what they were saying would remind them that there was also something that I needed to be disciplined about. And so they would be like, blah, 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 discipline, discipline, love, love. And then they'd go, oh, winner, salty. And they said, come, come over here from the room. And I'd be like, oh. And then I'd sit down and then they were like, and now you. And they would go for, go for it, you know. And, you know, the Bible says that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Yeah, my parents loved us. And so, you know, when I think of this, Ephesians 2, and now you, this is, this is what's up with us. That word you, there's no, in English, there's no plural for the word you. It's just you. Like if I'm saying, Rochelle, would you like to come to my house? But if I mean Rochelle and Eddie, would you? I'd, I'd just use the same word, unless I was from South America, or south, south of Texas, you know, some of them say, you all or y'all, would y'all like to come to my house? I've seen it on cowboy movies. But some of you are laughing because you know what I'm going to say next, right? What is the plural for you in South Auckland? Use. There was one word that my brother and I were never allowed to say in our house was use. You guys, how are you guys doing? Well, there is no Greek to English translation for the plural of you. It's talking about and you, all of you guys. And he's, he's writing to a church. He's not writing to people who don't know God. He's writing to the church, the Christians in Ephesus. Is she, is she ever going to read the scripture you guys are saying? Hey? Okay, I'm going to read it. Be patient. And you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once, walk, once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, of course, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Bad news. By nature, we are all sinners. We're all dead. We're stuffed. But now what? Thank God it does not end there. The next verse says, but God. I love those two words. You know, it's like a superhero came in and intervened and intercepted what was inevitable. Praise the Lord that there's a but God there. For every result of sin and death, there is a but God. That's awesome, right? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Bad news is we're dead. We're dead in sin but God. You know, some of us are struggling through some bad news of some kind. Maybe you're facing an impossible situation. 
you can't get more impossible than being dead. You know, when I turned on the on-ramp, so we live in, in Rewa, this morning we hopped on, on the on-ramp and there was a freshly flattened, I don't, I don't even know what animal it was because certain parts of it were missing. But I looked at that and I knew, knowing what I was going to be talking about today, I just thought, that's, that's really disgusting, you know? That, that thing was dead. But, you know, I was thinking about it, that's us. That's what we're like because of sin. We are spiritually dead. We can't have a relationship with God. And that's how, I mean, how could you love something like that? But he loved us. And there's a but God. He interrupted and he intervened. And I believe that's what he's wanting to say to us today. If you are facing something that you feel like there is no solution to, I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to all of us today and to me as well, don't worry, there's a but God. Going back to Genesis 5, which is now all of our favorite passage of scripture, you know, Adam died, Seth died, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalal, Jared, there's just death everywhere. Like, you know, old MacDonald, here a death, there a death, everywhere a death, death. But then, out of the blue, in this gene genealogy, this long list of names, where I left off was Enoch. Verse 21 of that same scripture. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Verse 23. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more. Other versions of the Bible say, then he was gone, because God took him away. At that time, you know, people only knew the reality of death. You know, I think the death rate back then is pretty much the same as it is Today, you know, around 100% of the people died. But, you know, in this scripture, this long scripture just saying, talking about death and how death had the final say so many times. For the first time, we are now reminded that there's actually hope beyond death. For the first time, it is possible for death not to have the final word. There's hope. So why is it that everybody else's lives on earth back in those days always ended in death, death, death? But then one guy gets life. You know, the only clue that Genesis tells us at all is that Enoch walked faithfully with God. That's the only difference. But what does that mean? You know, he escaped death. So I'm definitely interested in what was so different about this guy. Do you think he was just a really, really good person? Maybe he followed the rules better than everybody else, or maybe he gave more offerings at church, or maybe he prayed a little bit longer than everybody else. It can't be, because in Isaiah 64, it says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. 
and we all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. There is none righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned, and as I mentioned before, the wages of sin is death. Walking with God can't mean that you were better than everyone else. So what does it mean? Hebrews 11 gives us the answer to why I believe he got life instead of death. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For our ancestors won God's approval by it. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by God's command so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through them. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not experience death. And he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was approved since he had pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. By faith, those two words. Abel offered up a better offering. In verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So this is the very first guy in history who escaped death. For one reason alone, and that's faith. There is one way for death to overcome life, and that's faith. Faith is when you put all of your trust and your hope in Christ. Not just believing in God, that he exists. Because, you know, the Bible says that even the demons believe that God exists. So much so that when they hear his name, they shudder and they shiver in fear. But faith is that you actually believe God. You believe what he says. You rely on him for everything. And you absolutely believe the truth in his word, and put everything that you have into trusting in it. You know, one picture of faith, I'm reminded of the centurion who came and saw Jesus, and he told Jesus about this servant that he was very close to who was dying. And then Jesus said, the Bible says that this servant was suffering terribly. And then Jesus said, shall we go? Shall I go and heal him? But then the centurion says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word. You don't have to go. Just say the word, and I know he'll be healed. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled. Or that the Bible's uh, other versions say Jesus was amazed. You know, that freaks me out. You know, how can you amaze someone who has seen everything? He's seen dead things come to life. He's seen water turn to wine. He's seen blind people healed. He's seen everything. But the Bible says that he was amazed by this guy, just just a normal guy. What did he do to amaze Jesus? He showed faith. 
Jesus turned to everybody. There was a whole crowd, of course, standing around. He said, I have never before seen faith like this. That's why he was amazed. Going back to Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now in the scripture here, the one that's coming up any second, Ephesians 2, there are four components of God's solution. Ephesians 2. There are four components to God's solution. God, There are four parts of the good news. Those four parts are grace, faith, works, and salvation. It's important that we get a correct understanding of these four parts. Because if we don't get it right, you know, good news can easily become fake news. You know, it's easy to tell the difference between good news and bad news. You know, any, anybody can tell the difference. But fake news is when we start to get confused. It's so important for us to know what the good news really is. Um, I remember, uh, must have been like 12 years ago, uh, me and Maya and Joey, my two sons, we went to Singapore. My brother was living there at the time. We went to Singapore uh, because he had just had his baby. So we went over to help out. And of course, it was Maya's first time in any part of Asia. And so we were on, we were on the train one day. And um, it was just the three of us. And I had Joey in his pram. And we were sitting on the train. For some reason, the train was pretty empty. There weren't that many people on board. And then we, we stopped at the stop. And the doors opened, and three ladies came in. These ladies were obviously Muslim ladies, and they had the full covering over their body, over their face, and all you could see was their eyes. Now, we'd, back then, sometimes you see that around in, in Auckland, right? But back then, I never saw anything like that in Auckland. And so this was the first time that I was really seeing it in real life. And of course, Maya, he was only two at the time. And he saw them and he goes, Mom. And then I looked at him and then I looked at them and I was like, oh, no. And, you know, any of you guys who remember what Maya was like back then, he was the most friendly social, he'll talk to anyone and anything and make friends wherever he goes. So he goes, mom, ninjas. And I was like, Maya, shush, shush, Maya, shh. And then he goes, Because, you know, of course, ninjas, they're supposed to be like all stealth and, you know, secret, undercover and things like that. And so I was like, yeah. And then we were 
just sitting there and finally, you know, he'd kind of calmed down a little bit and I was looking at Joey. Joey was very young at the time. I think he was only like four months old. And then I saw something moving in the corner of my eye and Maya had like, so they were sitting across from us like diagonally. He had like, you know, just shuffled off to the side quietly and now he was right in front of them and he was like going, And, you know, it was quite obvious. I couldn't really get his attention without, you know, kind of making things awkward. Not that they weren't awkward already. And they were looking at him. I had no idea what their faces were doing. And so he starts going in front of them, and they're both looking. They're all looking at him now. And he's like, oh, oh. Thinks he's, you know, just so cool. And then I was like, Maya. And he's And then he comes back, and I don't even think that the next stop was our stop, but we got off. <laughs> and I said to him, those are not ninjas. And he goes, yes. And I said, no, they are ladies. They just wear that. And he goes, fake ninjas. And the look of disappointment on his face was like, oh, fake. You know, I, I, I'm sure he was hoping that some kind of villain was going to come and attack us so that the ninjas could get up and, you know, save us or something with their stars that probably were un, in their pockets. But they weren't going to do anything if any trouble came because why they weren't ninjas, they were something else. And <laughs> that long story just to say, it's so important for us to understand the real good truth, the real good news so that we can recognize fake news. Because it's so dangerous for us to get these four components mixed up. So I'm gonna go through three common mistakes that, come across, that we come across when we get these four components mixed up. And the first one is legalism. And legalism is when we say grace plus faith plus works equals salvation. So, you know, by grace, you're saved through faith, but you've got to do good works or else you're not saved. You're only saved if you obey the rules or if you do this or do that. Legalism is when we add our own efforts in order to think that we're saved because of it, as if Jesus didn't do enough. The second one, I had to practice saying this word, Autonomianism. Everyone say that? Autonomianism. Yes. And this word is just a fancy theological term which means without law or lawlessness. Basically, you just do whatever you want. And it says grace plus faith without works is salvation. Basically, they say grace and faith is all you need. Just put your faith in God's grace. You don't have to repent. You don't have to change. You can just stay the same, do whatever you want, and you're saved. And the third one is universalism. And that is grace without faith, without works, equals salvation. This says that because... Of God's grace, everyone's saved. We're all saved. You don't need faith. You don't need works. You don't even need to change. It's just cupcakes and rainbows. We're all saved. We're all going to heaven. All three of those are wrong. 
what is true is the fourth one, which is the gospel. Grace plus faith equals salvation. When you put your faith in God's grace and what he did on the cross, you are saved. This is what we talked about last week. But you don't just stay saved. Naturally, good works come as well. Salvation produces good works. Works, good works never produces salvation. Salvation always produces good works. We put our faith in what he did. And then once we're saved, naturally, we start to change. I'll just end off by summarizing that verse in Ephesians 2. But you, all of us, we were dead in our sins, but God made us alive. But God made us alive in Christ. From death to life, that is the great exchange. Let us pray.